0: So we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 16. Let's go ahead and read the first five verses together. Or I'll read them and you listen. It says this, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea, that ye receive her in the Lord, has become a saint, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well beloved, Eponitus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So before we go ahead and jump into the text this evening, let's ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word tonight. I pray that you would help me to rightfully divide the word of truth, and that the application that we would make tonight would be eminently practical. And so that we can walk out and say, because of Romans chapter 16 and because of the life of Aquila and Priscilla, this is what we should do. And I pray that you'll help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of it. That you would help us to grow in grace and in our own desire to fulfill the Great Commission and to make disciples. We'll give you the honor and glory for everything that's done. We ask this in your name. Amen. So let me give you four big picture observations on Romans chapter 16. So we're not going to dive into all these. We're not going to work in depth in all of these observations. But when you read through Romans 16, I don't think that you can help but be hit with these four observations. So the first one is the names. The names. So you read through Romans 16, and Paul gives us 35 unique names as he works through this text. And he greets them individually. And not only does he greet them individually, like this isn't like a laundry list of names, right? So Paul is greeting these people individually. And so he knows these people and he is writing to them by name. And so what that tells me is Paul viewed his ministry not as programs, but rather Paul viewed his ministry as people. So Paul writes this incredible theological treatise in the book of Romans. And I mean, you go and read through it, and Paul hits all the major doctrines. And he gets to the very end of his book, and he doesn't write this elaborate conclusion. And this kind of blows my mind when I look at it, because when I was in seminary, they teach you, when you get to the end of your paper, you write a killer conclusion, because that's the last thing that you remember. But what is most important to Paul when he comes to the end of the book of Romans? It's to greet these 35 individuals by name. Paul cared about individual people right and so when I read through this in the end of the book of Romans that just jumps out at me right that that Paul is less concerned about programs and he's less concerned about his great theological letter and he's more concerned about people okay and that's how he leaves his book the second thing I want us to notice here is the partnerships okay the partnerships he uses some really interesting terms here uh, as, as he works through this chapter. Look, look at verse 1. He says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant. A servant. So Phoebe was clearly a partner in the gospel. She was serving the church in Rome. Look at verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Look at verse 9. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. Look at verse 12. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Also salute my beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. And can I just make this obvious? The gospel ministry is a partnership. Okay, It's a partnership. And it's not just somebody up on a platform, right, preaching to a group of people, and then we all go out and leave exactly the same way that we were, right? And then we do that three times a week. That is not the gospel ministry. But rather, the gospel ministry is all of us engaging in the call that Jesus Christ has given to us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 to go and make disciples. And the gospel ministry cannot exist outside of a partnership that comes within fellowship of believers in the unity that we have in Christ, So if we're going to be effective in fulfilling the Great Commission mandate, we have to know that this is a partnership that each of us are responsible in having a hand in to fulfill. Third, so there's not just partnerships, but those partnerships that Paul has are incredibly focused. Okay, so the third thing I want you to notice here is that these relationships are Christ-saturated. So, these relationships, these partnerships that Paul has, right? He's not just partnering with anybody, but rather these partnerships are incredibly focused, and they're focused around the unity that we have in our salvation, the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Look at verse two, or uh, verse two. Uh, he's talking about Phoebe here, and he says she has been a sucker or literally a, a protector or a patron of many and of myself. Look at verse 3. He describes Priscilla and Aquila as helpers in Christ Jesus. If you look at verse 5, he says, salute my well-beloved, Epinetus." Uh, and then he says, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ, unto Christ. Look at verse 7. Uh, he, he he talks about Andronicus and, and uh, Junia. Look at the end of that verse. Who also were in Christ before me. Look at verse 8 and 9. Greet Amplius, my beloved, in the Lord. Greet Urbane, our helper in Christ. Christ, look at verse 10, salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Look at verse 12, salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. And again, Persis, who labored in the Lord. Look at verse 13, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And look at verse 14, he gives these names here, and the brethren which are with them. These are Christ-saturated relationships. And as we work together as a community of faith, as we work together as the church to fulfill the Great Commission, these are the partnerships and these are the relationships that God uses to accomplish his mission and to accomplish his will in the world. And we need each other. We need each other. And when I look at this and when I look at the names and I look at the partnerships, but not just any old partnerships, but these are partnerships that are centered around the unity that we have in the gospel and the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. This just stands out. We need one another, right? And these are the people that God is using to fulfill his mission in the world today. And that mission is our great commission. And finally, the last thing I want you to notice is Paul had genuine love for these people. Okay, so there's the love for the saints. We've already looked at a couple of these verses, but look at verse 5. Salute my well beloved. Okay, that is, an, that is a term of endearment. Look at verses 8 and 9. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord, and greet Urbane and Stachis, my beloved. And then in verse 12 as well, salute Tryphena and Trifosa who labor in the Lord, and then salute the beloved purses so there is a genuine love that is abounding within these relationships right and this harkens back to what paul writes to the to the philippians in philippians chapter 1 when he is describing what an ideal church looks like and he says in this i pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment so, when I look at Romans chapter 16, these are the four big things that just kind of explode off the page to me is the names, the partnerships, the Christ saturated relationships, and the love that Paul has for the saints here. And man, what could the church be like, right, if, if this was the case everywhere, right? And so, when we look at our, at our own hearts and when we look at our church, and I think it's important for us to ask ourselves, man, do we have relationships? Do we have love? Do we have. Partnerships like these, are we genuinely working together to accomplish the gospel ministry that God has given to each and every one of us? Okay, but So I think that these type of relationships should be present in our churches today. So our, the question is, are you helping to facilitate these real Christ-centered relationships in the church through disciple-making and service? And I think that that's a, challenging, that's a challenging question for me. I don't know about I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you. But that's a challenging question for me as I look at my own heart and my own life and I examine myself in light of these four big principles. But I want to focus now. So those are just big picture observations on Romans 16 as a whole. All right? So I'd encourage you. There's a lot there when you look at some of these names. And there's really interesting people in this text. We're not going to take time to dive into all that. But rather, I want to take the rest of our time this evening and focus on Aquila and Priscilla take a few minutes to track them through scripture and then look at some really practical applications that we can make from their life okay so let's just take a minute here and and just track aquila and priscilla through scripture if you take your bible okay and turn to acts chapter 18 this is where we're going to start acts chapter 18 we're going to jump around a little bit But Acts chapter 18 is starting in verse 2. This is what it says. Uh, We'll start in verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And in Corinth, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. And wrought for by their occupation, they were tent makers. So Aquila and Priscilla are Jews. And they're Jews from the city of Pontus, which is in modern day Turkey. Okay, so that's, that's where they're from. And, and we don't know. We don't know exactly when Aquila and Priscilla were exposed to the gospel. It could have even been on the day of Pentecost. Because as Jews... And as devout Jews, Aquila and Priscilla probably would have made the trip to Jerusalem and been in there at that time. And if you go back and look at Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up and he preaches, and he gives you that list of people in the regions that they're from, Pontus is specifically listed. So I'm speculating here. That's not Bible. I'm, I'm guessing. So it could be, I just want to make that clear, right? So it could be that Aquila and Priscilla experienced the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Or it could be that when Paul meets them in Corinth in Acts chapter 18, that he leads them to Christ. We don't know for sure, but we know that Aquila and Priscilla got saved and the gospel radically transformed their life. But, so they were Jews from Pontus. And then Aquila and Priscilla moved from Pontus to Rome. So they go from Turkey and they travel all the way to Italy. That's what we see here in verse two. So they had come, they were born in Pontus, uh, recently come from Italy. So they moved there, moved to Rome, probably to enhance their tent-making business. Alright, so the, the market for their leather goods and tent making in Pontus was probably a little smaller. So you want to make some money, where do you go? Well, you go to the center of the known world at that time. Alright, so these are good businessmen. So are a good business couple, right? So they move from Pontus to Rome and they're there. But Claudius, the Emperor Claudius, has an issue with the Jews during his rule. And so Claudius actually expels all the Jews from Rome for a time. And this clearly affects Aquila and Priscilla. So as Jews, they could no longer reside in the city of Rome. And that's when they leave and come to Corinth and Paul meets them here in Corinth. And we, you got to note too, like travel like this across the known world, while the Roman road system made it easier to travel, extensive travel and moving from city to city was not a super normal occurrence at this point. So Aquila and Priscilla are really just kind of hopping all over the world. So Pontus, then they go to Rome, and now they're in Corinth. And Corinth made sense for them if they were working to enhance their business because Corinth was a, a rich coastal city. It had a lot of trade there. And we already know that in Acts chapter 18 and verse 3, they meet the apostle Paul. But after a period of time, so Paul spends a lot of time with Aquila and Priscilla. And Paul disciples them, and he invests in them. He is living with them in their home, and he is teaching. They are working together for the sake of the gospel. And now look at what happens down in Acts 18, verses 18 and 19. Okay, and Paul, after this, you can read through some of those accounts there, what happens in Corinth. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila having shorn his head in sent for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So now Paul leaves Corinth and he sails for Ephesus as an itinerant preacher. So Paul is going and he's he's church planting. So Paul goes and he is preaching the gospel in Ephesus. And Aquila and Priscilla pack up and they leave Corinth and go with Paul to Ephesus. And I think it's interesting to notice here that their travel is no longer about their business, right? I'm sure that Aquila and Priscilla had a thriving business that was happening in the city of Corinth. But rather now, their travel was about the ministry of the gospel. And Aquila and Priscilla have a desire to see people change for Christ. So their job no longer is the reason for the decision-making process, but rather their job is an outworking through which they can now minister for the sake of the gospel. And then Paul packs them up. So he takes them from Corinth, brings them to Ephesus with him. And then Paul leaves them there, right? So Paul then packs up from Ephesus and Paul travels on and leaves Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. And you look at that and you kind of go, well, Paul, you packed them up and brought them here. and Now you're just going to leave them? <laughs> you know? But God had a plan. God had a plan for Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. And I think that we see that in the end of the chapter. Look at verse 24. Acts 18 and verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So this is what's happening. Aquila and Priscilla are in Ephesus. As Jews, they are still worshiping in the synagogue and going and spending time with other Jews that are there. Okay, and while they're there, there is this man that shows up, Apollos. And this man is a believer, but Apollos doesn't have a whole picture of the gospel He doesn't understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's coming in and preaching the baptism of John. So he hasn't gotten all the information. He doesn't have the whole picture. And Aquila and Priscilla are gracious to Apollos. Because they could have looked at this guy that came in, and he stands up and he starts preaching, but he doesn't have the whole picture, right? He doesn't get it all. And they could have looked at him and gone, man, this is just another ignorant you know, ignorant backwoods guy, right? Like, he teaches pretty good. I mean, he's from Egypt. He's like, he teaches pretty good. But, uh, you know, at the same time, like, he just doesn't get it. And they just could have looked at him, and they just could have kind of left him and said, well, this guy is just kind of a lost cause. It's going to take a lot of time to work with him and invest in him and train him. We just don't have that kind of time, (laughs) right? But that's not what they do. Instead, they see this man that comes in. They see his giftedness. They see his ability. And what they do is they reach out to Apollos. They pull him into their own home. And they spend time. Look at what it says in verse 26. When Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them. They brought him in. Right? They spent time with him. They had him in their home. They invested in him. And not only that, but they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. That tells me that the time that the Apostle Paul had spent with them, teaching and training them, they understood the truth. And they understood the text. And now when there's an individual that needs some teaching and needs some training and needs some discipling, Aquila and Priscilla are ready and willing, and they bring this man into their home and they invest in him And they teach him and train him in the scriptures. And that's an incredible ministry. Because look at what happens in verse 27. And when he, this is Apollos, when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. So now Apollos, having been discipled by Aquila and Priscilla, goes and he preaches in this region of Achaia, and he is a tremendous blessing to the churches that are there because he has been trained, he has been discipled, and now he goes and teaches what he has learned, and the churches are blessed as a result of his ministry. Well, that comes back to Aquila and Priscilla and their willingness to bring in this uneducated individual with a lot of zeal and a lot of passion, but not a whole lot of knowledge. And they come in, they don't write him off, but instead they bring him in, they teach him and train him. And as a result, he goes out and is a tremendous blessing to all of these churches. That's a wonderful thing. I also want you to note in verse 28, look at what it says here about Apollos. For he mightily convinced the Jews... And that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Apollos was an expert at reaching Jews with the gospel. Now, there's something really interesting about this. Um, Paul had a tremendous heart to reach Jews with the gospel. In fact, stick your fingers here and turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Paul had an incredible heart to reach Jews with the gospel. But when you read through the book of Acts and you read through Paul's ministry to Jews, not wildly successful, right? Jews ran him out of a lot of synagogues. And so that's why we consider Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Paul's not considered the apostle to the Jews, right? Paul's considered the apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul had a tremendous heart though. Look at chapter nine and verse one. It says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why? Why is Paul so sad? For I wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul is broken hearted because the Israelites have not accepted the message of the gospel. And Paul has a tremendous heart to see his kinsmen come to Christ. But Paul did not have super effective ministry to the Jewish people. But follow me here, right? So. Paul wants to reach Jews with the gospel. Paul himself personally doesn't have a ton of success. But Paul disciples a couple, Aquila and Priscilla. He spends time with them in Corinth, invests in them, stays with them, works with them, teaches them and trains them. And then Paul leaves. But Aquila and Priscilla stay in Ephesus. And this man, Apollos, shows up. And they don't write him off, but instead they bring him into their home. They teach him and train him. And then he goes and preaches. And what people group is Apollos, an expert at reaching? The Jews. The Jews. So even though Paul maybe personally wasn't super effective in reaching the Jewish nation with the gospel, through his willingness to disciple and through the willingness of Aquila and Priscilla to take and disciple others and to invest in them and to invest in people, Paul, through his influence and through his ministry, was able to reach Jews through others. Even if he himself wasn't necessarily directly involved through his, the outworking of his ministry. Okay, Jews were reached with the gospel because of his willingness to engage in the Great Commission mandate. And I think, I think there's a good lesson there for us too. We don't know where our influence will extend. And sometimes we have a heart to reach people with the gospel. Sometimes we have a desire, and it just feels like we bang our heads against a brick wall. And it's like, man, is God just not using me? Is God not working through me? And I I don't know the emotions of the Apostle Paul, but I can only think that as he gets thrown out of synagogue after synagogue, that Paul has to feel some of that, you know? But by being faithful to the great commission that God has given to us, Paul, through his ministry, his influence extends far beyond his own person. And he, through the ministry of others, is able to see Jews come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're commanded, so we're not commanded to reach specific people, we're just called to be faithful. And as we are faithful to share the gospel, as we are faithful to disciple, we don't know where that will go. But God can take our influence and extend it far beyond what we even think is possible. But, as Galatians chapter 6 tells us, let us not be weary in well-doing, Right, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. I also think if you were to go over and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 19, while Aquila and Priscilla are in Ephesus, they actually establish a church there in their home, right? So they're reaching out to others and then they're bringing them into their home and they are helping teach and train others in their own house. Uh, That text in 1 Corinthians 16, 19 says, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now, something interesting happens here. After the Roman Emperor Nero, so Claudius passes off the scene, he dies. And Nero ascends in his place. And Nero actually lifts the ban on the Jews. So no longer are Jews banned from the city of Rome. And after Nero comes back and lifts this ban on the Jews, Aquila and Priscilla actually return to Rome and establish a church there in their house. And this is what we see in Romans chapter 16. So Paul is writing this letter to believers that are in the church in Rome and let me get over there. It says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. And it says in verse 5, likewise greet the church that is in their house. So Aquila and Priscilla here have returned to Rome. They've established a church in their home and they are still faithfully working to reach others with the gospel and to see them be discipled and trained. Now we also see, and we don't know exactly what Scripture doesn't tell us, but we see that they also apparently rescue Paul's life in some way. Look at verse 4. Who have for my life laid down their own necks. And we don't know exactly what that means. But clearly, Aquila and Priscilla had risked themselves in some way for the Apostle Paul. And because of that, I think this statement that Paul makes at the end of chapter 4 is, or at the end of verse 4, I'm sorry, is incredible. He says, who for my, own, my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So this is what Paul is saying here. Paul is commending Aquila and Priscilla to every Gentile church in the New Testament. And when you think about that influence, and when you think about that extension of ministry i mean paul says look every church not just me but every church should be thankful for the ministry of aquila and priscilla that is an incredible statement essentially what he's saying is brothers if you're thankful for the ministry of the gospel in your lives take out a quill and write a hallmark card to aquila and priscilla for their faithful ministry in the gospel Right, because Aquila and Priscilla have been so faithful and they have invested in the Apostle Paul. And as a result, their influence has extended so far beyond themselves. And Paul says every believer in a New Testament church should be thankful for the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla. That is an incredible statement. It's just, it's an incredible testament to their influence. And I think that that should motivate us, too, because faithful service to Christ can make an incredible impact if we are willing to be used and to actively serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Aquila and Priscilla aren't looking for recognition here, right? They're just faithfully doing what God has commanded them to do. They're just faithfully doing what God has called them to do. And yet Paul says every believer here should be thankful for their ministry. It's just an incredible testament testament to their influence, to their faithfulness, to their service. So let me give you three really simple applications here. Okay, so three biblical applications from the life of Aquila and Priscilla, and then after really after Romans 16, we, they kind of disappear off the page. In Second Timothy, there, Paul mentions them one more time in Second Timothy. As, that's the last letter that he writes before he dies, and he greets them one last time before his execution. But really after that, we they just kind of disappear off the pages of Scripture. But I think from the life of these two individuals, there's three incredible lessons that we need to learn. And the first one is a God-centered contentedness. A God-centered contentedness. So Aquila and Priscilla moved to Rome right, to pursue their career, most probably. And yet Claudius goes and he expels all the Jews from Rome. Well, that's a difficult thing because they've come, they've established, they've started to build a life there in the city of Rome. And now Claudius says you have to get up and you have to get out. And that's of no fault of Aquila and Priscilla. And that's a difficult situation. Right? So they just have to pack up, they have to get up, and they have to move. And they don't even have a place where they're dead set on going. And then they land in Corinth. We know that's by the providence of God, right? Because there they meet the Apostle Paul. But we never hear complaint on the part of Aquila and Priscilla. In fact, there's nothing negative written about them in the pages of Scripture. And there just seems to be an incredible God-centered contentedness here. And I think that what biblical contentedness really requires of us is that we embrace God in every situation, knowing that He is sovereign, working both in and through us to work out His plan. That's what I see in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. For we know that all things work together to them which love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose and we know that the good there right that's not always things that make us happier that make us feel good but rather the good there when you look at it in context is Christ likeness so God is using all things for our good which is to develop us to shape us to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ and if we truly believe that it allows us to be content in every situation even if it's difficult, even if it's uncomfortable, because we know that our God is actively at work for us and in us and by the grace of God through us. So God-centered contentedness is number one. Secondly is Christ-enabled service. Christ-enabled service. And I see this in a couple of places. Man, I can hear the kids out there playing. Is that how loud it is when I lead games out there on a regular Wednesday night? Good night, man. I'm sorry. All right. Christ-enabled service. All right. A couple of things here. I, I, I see their willingness to serve through their discipleship of Apollos. So they were willing to take this theologically ignorant individual, right? Didn't have all the picture. Didn't have all the facts. And yet they were willing to take this man and bring him into their home and to invest in him and to pour their lives into him. And as a result, he goes and shares the gospel and wins many Jews for Christ. But well, that's an act of service, right? I mean, that, that's an act of humility, and that's an act of grace. I also see their Christ-enabled service through the establishment of a church in their home, their willingness to have others come and be taught, and not just be, to be taught, but if they're hosting the church in their home, we can assume that they're probably the ones doing the majority of the educating here, right? So they're teaching and training others and helping them grow in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But again, that's service. I think we can also see their service through their ministry to the Apostle Paul. Clearly, they risked themselves in some way to be a blessing to Paul. And I think it's important for us to notice as well that we have been saved to serve Christ. That's Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. It says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Also, if you go and look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it talks about the fact that God has redeemed us. But what has he redeemed us for? To make us a peculiar people, zealous unto good works. God didn't save you by works but God saved you to good works, right? So once you are saved, and it's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But, for right? We are his, what? Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You and I are saved to serve. We are saved to be servants. And I think we see that modeled in the life of Aquila and Priscilla. And finally, the power of redemptive relationships. The power of redemptive relationships. This just pops off the page to me when we look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla. When you think about the fact that Paul was willing to go, when he found Aquila and Priscilla in the city of Corinth, he went and he lived with them. He spent time with them. He invested in them. He poured into them. And as a result, Aquila and Priscilla are now effective servants that are able to go invest in others who are able to win huge amounts of people for the cause of Christ. That's a redemptive relationship. When you look at the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla to Apollos, we've already talked about that one. And then when you go look at the ministry of Apollos to the Jews. And then when you consider the impact of Aquila and Priscilla on all of the Gentile churches. Do redemptive relationships have power? Man, I I can't come to any other conclusion than absolutely they do. Paul took time with one couple. That couple took time with one individual. And sometimes it feels slow. And I I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes the disciple-making process feels slow, right? It feels a little bit painful. Sometimes it kind of feels like you're banging your head against the wall a little bit. But when you look at the fact that Paul in Romans chapter 16 says, all the Gentile churches should be thankful for the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. That is the power of a redemptive relationship. So we should never give up on the great commission that God has given to us. We should never give up on the call to make disciples. We should never give up on the call to share the gospel with other people because when we develop relationships and when we have these Christ-saturated relationships like we see in Romans chapter 16, those make a difference. I, can't, I, I just can't come to any other conclusion when we look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla. So just a couple of practical thoughts here as we wrap up I think you and I need to be individuals who strive for biblical contentment we need to be individuals who strive for biblical contentment and I'm not preaching at you here I'm preaching at myself right and so as I preach to myself you listen and if there's something in here for you all right take it home but our present situation is designed to develop us into Christ likeness that's Romans eight twenty eight. But I think we also need to notice that contentment is a choice and not a circumstance. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment doesn't happen. Contentment is a skill, it's a discipline that is developed. It doesn't just happen. And if we believe that God is who he says he is, and if we believe that God is genuinely using the circumstances around us to develop christ-likeness in us then it allows us to fight for contentment even when the circumstances are difficult so i think we need to be individuals that strive for biblical contentment secondly i think you and i need to be individuals who are passionate about serving others we develop a passion for serving others this model it really models the example of our lord jesus christ right philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 let this mind be in you which is also in christ jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. The form of a servant. So when you and I develop a desire to serve other people, we model our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would also say that it's a, we've already looked at Ephesians 2, 8, and 10. We don't need to rehash it, but it's also a natural outworking of our salvation in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ saves us by grace through faith. And then the natural outworking of that is we walk in the good works that he has laid in our path. And then finally, you and I need to be individuals who are constantly developing redemptive relationships with our neighbors and with our friends and in our communities. And this is essential for fulfilling the Great Commission mandate. Okay, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That implies that we are going out and meeting people in those nations, right? (laughs) Developing, uh, let me also just put this caveat in here, right? So developing redemptive relationships is not a substitute for sharing the gospel. And this is a trend that's growing among people my age, right? And so there's a tendency to go out and say, well, I have lots of friends in the community and I'm involved in the community and I'm living out a good testimony in the community so maybe God will change somebody through my testimony but I struggle with that because all of those things are good up to a point but at some point we have to open our mouths and we have to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ right so while developing the redemptive relationships are important they're redemptive for a reason because they're redemptive because it leads us to an opportunity to share about the good news of the redemption. right, and in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul says, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me. That tells me that Paul was praying for the boldness to open his mouth and speak, right? And you and I need to do the same. So when I talk about redemptive relationships here, I'm not giving you an out for sharing the gospel. Rather, this gives you a platform by which we go and share the gospel with others. And then sharing the gospel allows us to disciple others. It allows us to teach the truth. It allows us to grow in grace together as a community of faith, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When I look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla, and when I look at Romans chapter 16 as a whole, I, I just come to this kind of final conclusion. Programs don't change people. Right? I don't see anything in Romans 16 that's programmatic. But rather, I see people investing in people. So programs don't change people relationships grounded in the truth of Scripture and centered around the gospel change people and have tremendous influence and have tremendous power. So when you and I go throughout our week, right, and there's that person at your job that is just driving you nuts and rubbing you the wrong way, and you're like, oh, this person is beyond hope, right? I would encourage you to remember the example of Aquila and Priscilla. Because we can come here and we can do all the programs, right? And we can do all the things and everything can look really good and classy, right? But if we don't engage people, right? It's not about our programs. It's about people. And I think that Romans chapter 16 and the life of Aquila and Priscilla encourage us along those lines. So if there's anything that I want you to go out of here and take with you, right? Invest in people. Develop redemptive relationships with people. Share the gospel. And work to disciple and help others grow in grace so that we can fulfill the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. All right, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And then we'll go ahead and move into our prayer time. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word tonight. This is this is challenging for me because um, I like to run as good of a program as the next guy. But, the Great Commission is not about our programs. The Great Commission is about people. And I think you've given us an incredible model in your word in Aquila and Priscilla. And as we see Paul invest in them and them invest in Apollos and Apollos invest in others and we see their influence grow through their faithful service. This is just a challenging a challenging thought for us. And Father, we want everything that we do to center around Great Commission ministry. We want to reach others with the gospel. We want to see them be disciples. But sometimes it's easy for us to get sidetracked with so many other things. And I just pray that you would help us as we go out into this week to fight for biblical contentment in our own hearts. I don't know what everybody here is going through. But I do know that contentment is a struggle for all of us. And so I pray that you would help us to remember that you are using the circumstances around us to grow us into the image of Jesus Christ, and that you would help us to fight for faith and fight for contentment in the midst of our present circumstances, knowing that you are working for us and and through us. I pray that you would help us to be servants, that we would look at individuals around us as worthy to be served, that we would never think that we are above getting into the mess of people's lives, but rather that we'd be willing to humble ourselves and invest in others as our Lord did. And I pray that you would just help us to remember that our relationships have influence and our relationships needs to point people to in Jesus. And as we take these thoughts and attempt to just think through them in our own lives and how we can implement them and how we can make a difference for the sake of the gospel, I pray that you'll help us to not to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of it, that we'll take these things and we'll go and live them out in our own lives this week. And Father, we'll give you the honor and the glory for it because you're the one that deserves it. And we ask all of these things in your name. Amen.